from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for November 3rd, 2023. Checking the calendar, the Rams are in Green Bay this Sunday, and the Bucks have a couple of home games this week. Tonight with the Knicks and Wednesday with Detroit. And today is the Day of the Dead, and it's also All Saints Day. It's funny how that worked out. Hey, how about a leftover from Halloween? Our downtown neighbor, the Fister Hotel, is haunted by its namesake, Charles Fister. But we all knew that. The hotel is often booked by touring musicians, visiting NBA and MLB players, etc. But many individual players don't stay there because they believe it is haunted. Some of the clues are furniture moving around the room, a radio repeatedly turning itself on and off, and Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Sigourney Weaver just hanging out in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. A Swiss couple traveling in Death Valley, California, narrowly escaped an accident caused by a tarantula. They saw it on the road and slammed on their brakes, heaven forbid you kill a spider, while the sudden stop caused a motorcyclist to plow into the back of their camper van. The rider is going to be all right, and as luck would have it, so is the tarantula. A nude opera singer, and let's not bury the lead, a nude opera singer went on a rampage with a bow and arrow at a British nursing home. The residents were evacuated, but not before our naked baritone smashed doors and windows, released fire extinguishers, and threw concrete blocks at cars. No operatic finish to this story. After being tased three times, his singing was just a bit off key. <laughs> and let's wrap it up with a Florida story. Well, it ain't the Olympics, but the first ever Florida Man Games is being planned for next February in St. Augustine, <laughs> Florida. To qualify, you should have a rap sheet, own an alligator, wear a mullet, and sport a respectable beer belly. And something that sounds like really a lot of fun, evading a rest obstacle course. <laughs> I hear St. Augustine is lovely in February. On the podcast today, we have Adam Bailey, Mike Helsel, Joel Dreesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Titting. Well, thanks, Max. I'm shocked the fine residents of St. Augustine would let that happen in their city. One of the, maybe, the, the true <laughs> gems of Florida, if, if we can say that. Uh, recording just a little bit early this week, so we don't have closing numbers for the week. You will have closing numbers in the show notes for the podcast. Um, but wanted to just spend a minute, given that we've wrapped October, uh, talking about some performance that we've seen so far this year, uh, and especially the last three months. The S&P, S&P 500 given back eight and a quarter percent, including dividends over the last three months. It's been a rough August, September, October stretch, uh, in large part because of a pretty significant run higher in yields. Uh, you look at um, you know the, the bond side of the market as measured by maybe the U.S. government credit index from Bloomberg or the U.S. universal index, both down more than four and a quarter percent in that three-month stretch. And so it really has been the bond market leading the stock market lower the last few months. You add in, though, that year-to-date it's still been an incredible year. The S&P, uh, including dividends, up 10.69% through the end of October. The NASDAQ up 23.61%, including dividends through the end of October. Uh, and for the year, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, a positive 1.44, although I want to point out that, again, that's with dividends reinvested. Uh, and so you're basically getting a negative number on the Dow without that through the end of October. 
Uh, more importantly, look outside the U.S., uh, you know, the Acquiex U.S., the all-country world index, not including the U.S., still up a positive 4.56% for the year despite a pretty rough October uh, and a pretty uh, rough uh, three months leading up to it. And so as we kind of set the tone for how we finished the year here the last two months, I, I think it's clear that uh, the, the interest rate story has certainly been part of the problem. We can circle back on some of the nuance of returns, but I think, Joel, maybe the place to start is with the interest rate conversation and the Federal Reserve on Wednesday, uh, just after uh, loading up on candy Halloween night, <laughs> Jay, uh, Jay Powell and the Fed had some comments uh, on Wednesday that uh, interest rates aren't going anywhere, at least for this meeting. Uh, but some things that, uh, that Powell pointed to that suggest that maybe the Fed is on the right path. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I heard um, in his news conference for this afterwards was uh, answering a question about wages. Um, we had a report this week from the Bureau of Labor Statistics on employment compensation, and uh, Chair Powell said, hey, that's about right where we expect it to be if we're going to have overall 2% inflation. And that's, remember, the, the Fed's long-range target. Um, so he said that, in his opinion, it hasn't been wages that have been driving up inflation. We've talked about some of the other things, some of the uh, the, sh the shipping things, some of the, you know, spending going out of whack and, and supply and demand uh, imbalances. But um, he's saying that over the last year, the last 18 months, that wages have seemingly gotten more under control. So they're go presumably going to keep watching that. But for now, that's not a concern. You know, the gist that I took away from uh, his message, not just today, but uh, in the past couple of weeks and some of the press conferences leading up to this is that you know growth has climbed this past year, but inflation has cooled, and uh, it really set up this meeting where they can hold steady on interest rates, uh, but yet leave the door open for another rate hike, maybe in December, maybe at some point next year. But they, they've effectively hit the pause button. And one of the things that uh, Jay Powell has mentioned, and also the other governors, uh, is just the, the sheer time lag it takes from when they first implement um, you know, their monetary policy and their strategy, it can take 12, 18, 24 months before we really start to see the first signs of it taking hold in the economy. Gosh, it's been about uh, 12 months since they really started to act aggressively. So here we are 12 months out for them saying, you know what, we need to pause, let the data roll in, not that it comes all at once, it starts to trickle in over time, but just giving them the ability to pause and wait, let the data roll in, and reassess before they make another change. And Mike, from what you were saying before we started the podcast, you know, just looking over the internet, people are real antsy. They're not, they're not in a waiting mode. They want to find out what the Fed's going to do, and what they want to find out now. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Humans in general are, you know, pretty panicky. So <laughs> they want to know, and especially in today's day and age, right? They want to know. Where is it going right now? They want all the information right now. They want to know where's it going, how's it going to be, and that's just not the case. I mean, there's, and there are some concerns out there that we still have to kind of look at when, you know, Adam so astutely kind of talked about what Jay Powell said today. But you look at some of the concerns out there that worry some people still. These global conflicts, there's two, I mean, I'll call them wars going on overseas, but I don't know if that's the correct definition of both of them. Um, and that leads to what's going to happen with oil because, as I believe Kyle has said before, people get real nervous when they drive past the gas station every 
like every day to work and they just see the numbers rising or falling and they get all concerned about that. And then the other one that I've been reading more about lately that I thought was kind of interesting that I didn't think was too high on kind of Wall Street's concerns, but I guess it is, is the actor strike. Now, there was the auto strike that was on the front of people's minds too, but that seems to be settled, so we're kind of moving past that. And you wouldn't think uh, the actor strike in Hollywood with a bunch of people picketing Netflix and Paramount would be the hot topic, but then you kind of fast forward and say, well, this could affect some stock prices if they don't have summer tentpole movies that come out, if Netflix doesn't have new content, if Apple doesn't have new content. I mean, I personally, I still want to know what the hell's going on with possibly season four of Ted Lasso. Let's get that going here. <laughs> but, yeah, that all of those things can kind of weigh on investors, even though seemingly there's been pretty good news with high GDP and some of the comments Paul said about pausing. So I think people just kind of have to be patient, let the rate hikes kind of run their course, and not put the concerns too front of mind because they aren't that present. You know, I think it speaks to an old axiom uh, on Wall Street and that the market climbs a wall of worry. And there has been a lot to worry this past year, certainly with um, the wars that are going on uh, overseas, as well as some worker strikes here in the United States. And we've just been, we've been battered with a pandemic or recession, a bear market, inflation, deflation the past several years. There's a lot to be worried about. Yet here we are towards the end of this year at a time when we thought we could have been in a recession. When we started out the year, we thought we could have been in a recession Everyone right now. said we were going to be. And here we are. Look at the resilience in the economy and the economic growth. And that was the underlying message from Jay Powell today is uh, the amount of resilience in the American consumer and in our economy. You know, third quarter GDP, we talked about last week, 4.9%. I think that tells everything you need to know. At the same time, core PCE for September came in at 37 And you look at, okay, well, the economy is outpacing inflation. Maybe it's okay that inflation runs a little beyond two for a while. Jay Powell kind of changed his, his economic strength from uh, solid to strong, kind of looking at this idea that, um, you know, maybe the economy has improved, and then we talk about recession, right? We talk about this idea that um, is it coming, isn't it coming, when's it going to come? And I think, you know, I've I've been a proponent of this idea of the rolling recession for the better part of the last year, which is, in some areas, we've already seen it. When you look at manufacturing earlier in the year, when you look at uh, the technology sector early, earlier in the year, Joel, you and I were talking about housing. And this idea that higher interest rates may be causing some slowdown in houses changing hands doesn't mean prices are going down. But if you're a realtor and you make your money based on transactional and not just what's the price of that house, but how many houses can I move? Well, you might be feeling it now, too. And it's not because there isn't demand. It's because of supply. Right. Yeah, we had uh, numbers today from the or this week from the uh, uh, Case-Shiller index, and, and that's exactly what it showed. And that's what they said was um, that the higher mortgage rates have really suppressed supply more than demand. Um, you know, people, there are fewer people uh, being able to afford houses, um, but there are even fewer people willing to sell houses because they've got lower mortgage rates on their house and they don't want to get stuck with a higher mortgage rate. So uh, the end result is that prices keep going up. Well, and, and to further that, you know, you, you've got an article coming out in the in the newsletter that's, uh, that's on its way Friday afternoon, November 3rd, um, looking at spending, right? Looking at this idea that, um, you know, the 
one of the things that has supported the economic engine is the consumer spending hasn't fallen off. Well, potentially the fact that I'm not upgrading my house right now uh, because I don't want to pay the 8% interest rate means that I'm still stuck in that lower payment in that house that maybe I don't love, but that fits. And that means that I've got other areas to spend. That really wasn't the focus of your article, but I think that's one more feather in the cap of, you know, stronger economy. You know, you talked a little bit more about spending in retirement. Right. Yeah. That's a, sort of a demographic and um, that's been looked at. And, and when you think about it, I mean, people who are retired um, are less susceptible to the higher interest rates because they, you know, 51% of them have their houses paid off, according to some federal data that I looked at. Um, they, you know, they're not paying back student loans, for instance. They're not, um, they're, they're actually benefiting from higher interest rates because they got an 8.7% social security raise this year. So um, there's a belief that there's sort of a pent up demand, especially among older people. Um, there, there are surveys that the New York Fed does every year. Um, and, and those show actually that um, those older than 60 um, are more bullish about spending than younger age groups. And uh, in, in the article that's, I think, yet to be released, but what you talked about is something called the wealth effect. Right. And uh, maybe let me take a moment and just kind of define what that is. But the wealth effect essentially is as your wealth holdings increase in value. So think of your home, think of your 401k, think of your IRA. As your, your wealth assets increase in value, you just feel more comfortable and confident going out and spending. And as, you know, people's homes have gone up in value the past five years or your IRA values have gone up in the past five years, you're more comfortable getting out there and spending and contributing to the economy. You know, long term, though, people don't end up spending their wealth. It gives them the tool to spend, but they don't spend their wealth. They spend their income. And I know I've talked about this on the show a lot, um, but uh, wages are rising faster than inflation, and there's more capacity for us to continue to spend our income. That's one of the reasons why the economy has held up pretty well. It's just funny that, um, just to piggyback on what Joel said again, just to kind of put it in perspective of what we do here, I can't, I've probably had half a dozen clients over the past two weeks that I've had this conversation with. They're on the verge of retirement, they're in their early 60s, and they can't wait. There are to spend. They are planning <laughs> trips, I mean, overseas to the Caribbean they're gonna not again to your point Kyle they're in their house they're not going anywhere they've got the 3% mortgage they're good so they're gonna take that they're gonna redo their bathroom they're gonna redo their kitchen and they have time to do all this stuff now and they have the money to do it as Adam has said they cannot wait to spend normally in our business and you guys can back me up on this sometimes we have to tell people go ahead Spend your money, it's okay. Yeah. This crop of clients I have between like late 50s to mid 60s, they are telling me everything they're gonna spend their money on and I just sit back and smile. I'm like, good for you, All right, that's fantastic. Are they people who have been spending money all along? Or no. Okay, so yeah. No, they've, they've been apparently just waiting for this moment. And Which is what helped them build up their wealth. Yeah. yeah. You know, the people who write about this sort of stuff, um, they, they, they write about things like the go-go years the slow-go years mm -hmm. and the no-go years. And yeah, when you're in your 50s or 60s, maybe even to your 70s, you're young, you're spry, you're healthy. Um, you, your wealth assets have gone up. Why not get out there and spend and enjoy? Because as you get older in your 70s or 80s, uh, you don't spend as much. And you get into your later 80s or 90s, 
your biggest trips to the mailbox at that point, right? <laughs> you don't want to travel when you're 85. I mean, I don't want to get an airplane now. It sucks. It's a crappy bus in the sky when you're 85. <laughs> why do you want to do that? If you don't have to, if you weren't planning on something otherwise, yeah, I think the, uh, the, the fun part of all of this is that it all fits together nicely with what we do every day. And like, you know, to your point, yeah, I'm hearing a little bit more from clients that want to spend because they couldn't for a while because they finally have the time to do it. And Joel, I think you hinted a pretty important point, which is one of the reasons why we have to tell so many clients is it's okay to spend is because they spent an entire career saving money, right? They paid for their kids to go to college. They did this, they did that. And all of a sudden, the income stream that provided those opportunities is gone. And that's a scary prospect, right? To go, well, I was making great money, but I want to retire. And where's my paycheck going to come from tomorrow? And so, you know, Adam, you mentioned the wealth effect. Well, you don't spend your wealth, you spend your income. And if that income doesn't come from earning, if it comes now from letting your money do the earning, that can be a bit unnerving. And it's one of the reasons why I think as we talk about um, you know, what, what it means to be a retiree, what it means to be a spender in retirement. Um, it's so important that you get that kind of broad exposure to, okay, it's okay to spend. It's okay, okay to go take that trip to Cabo or, uh, you know, wherever you want to go, but what's the limit, right? And so it's why it's so important for us to have that conversation with each and every client as they look at what does retirement look like for me? It's why we can't do our job as investors if we aren't doing our job and helping understand the planning piece of it, helping understand um, what's this going to look like beyond just this one check that we're sending you to pay for that trip, because if it's 10 more checks tomorrow, that changes what I'm doing from an investment perspective. And so, you know, I think you, you take the Fed or you take the markets or you take all of the information that we can digest as investors, and then you have to marry it with What's the conversation we had with that individual client? And so, you know, we use words like individualized as far as how we kind of define the work we do. Well, one of the reasons why it's individualized is because it has to be, because what we do for client A isn't the same as what we do for client B, because the timing of what they need, the amount of what they need, whether that's hard dollars or percentage, it looks different. Um, and Mike, again, to your point, for a lot of those clients, hey, Go ahead and spend a little more. Um, one of our jobs is to tell you that just the same way we'd tell you if we thought you, we were, you were spending too much. It's the more fun part of the job when you get to tell people to spend a little more. You know, just you run, you run the numbers for them. You know, cause some, and it also depends, like you said, individualized what they want. I talked to clients today that said when I ran the numbers for them, Mike, just know our kids know they're not getting a dime. <laughs> and so I said, okay. So if they're spending a little more now because they want to do things, they're not worried if it's getting close to the end, right? They're like, if I spend my last buck putting me into the ground, cool. And those are fun conversations. The inverse is you got to tell people, hey, you can't spend as much. But if they've listened to us, I mean, you two especially, they've, <laughs> they've got enough where you don't have to have those conversations. Yep. No, I think that's that's the key here. And, um, you know, maybe a, just a good reminder that as we get into the end of the year, it's a great opportunity to talk about some of those planning conversations. Uh, things like giving, which we do our uh, giving podcast every year on Thanksgiving uh, or the Friday after Thanksgiving, a good opportunity to kind of 
revisit some of those objectives, some of those goals. Yeah, maybe your kids don't qualify as a charity, even though <laughs> some of you think they should. Um, charity but, case, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, certainly that's one way that we can give. So um, with that, uh, a reminder that uh, the annual investment seminar video is available on our website. Uh, a link to that will come out with the newsletter. Um, and a quiz. And a quiz. Uh, and so make sure you've got your uh, number two pencil ready. <laughs> Quizzes uh, make me nervous, man. Quizzes <laughs> make me nervous. Well, you were there for both uh, both seminars, Mike, so you should do pretty well. I'm even more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> With that, uh, we enjoy doing the program for you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>